This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, April 19th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Does the government giving used tires to a church daycare playground violate the Establishment Clause of the Constitution? The Supreme Court today takes up the case of Trinity Lutheran Church of Columbia versus Pauley. Trevor Burris, a research fellow at the Cato Institute, comments on the case. If you had to pick one statement of what this case is about, is this about separation of church and state, or is it about religious discrimination? I would go with religious discrimination. It's it's a really kind of bizarre case because it came from such an innocuous beginning. We have a playground, an attempt to make playground safer, using old tires to make the playground cushier. And so this church that had a playground for its daycare wanted to apply for this state grant program of the state of Missouri in order to get the tires gifted to the the, uh, daycare center of of the church in order to make their playground safer. And of course, the state comes in and says, we can't do that because that would be essentially giving money to a religious organization. And that seems pretty bizarre because this is about playgrounds. It's not, they're not saying fund some Bibles we're going to purchase or is one of the cases that is a previous case of the similar kind of doctrine or or give a scholarship to someone who's going to study in seminary. They're not saying any of that. They're just saying, we have a playground too. Uh, It's in the state's interest for it to be safer, so we should get some of this tire material. And Missouri has this amendment uh, called the Blaine Amendment, which goes back originally to the late 19th century that says no funding of religion whatsoever. So they took this very seriously and said no. Now, what does this look like on his face? It looks like religious discrimination, there is no concern here that someone is going to think that the state of Missouri is establishing a church in violation of the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment and that they're really promoting a Lutheran religion. They're just giving them stuff for a playground. So here it does seem more like religious discrimination. So one of the cases that is a forerunner to this case is uh, Locke v. Davey. Mm -hmm. That dealt with uh, Washington State's constitution. Uh, and it provided a greater um, uh, prohibition on state funding to religious institutions than the Constitution allows. Yeah, so the states can go above and beyond the U.S. Constitution. You can kind of think of it to say that they can't go below the U.S. Constitution. But the U.S. Constitution, the Establishment Clause of the U.S. Constitution, which is what we really partially concerned with here because it's a question of whether or not the government is establishing a religion. But that clause would not uh, prevent something like this playground uh, situation. And in the Locke v. Davey case that you mentioned, that one dealt with the question of whether or not the Washington state constitution could prohibit a scholarship from going to a student who was going to study seminary. So in this one, they kind of said, well, this makes sense because although this wouldn't violate the Establishment Clause of the U.S. Constitution, you can get government money to go to religious schools. You can get scholarships. Uh, But if Washington has this provision that says we're a little bit more concerned about church and state and separation of church and state, then that's okay here. Uh, They're not violating a different part of the Constitution in trying to avoid and trying to have a higher barrier between church and state. And those different parts would be the, the free exercise clause that they're actually encumbering religion by not permitting them to have these grants and the scholarship or just the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, which prohibits discrimination, uh, denial, the equal protection of the laws, and that would be could be on religious grounds.
it seems that like this case isn't really all that important in a way because it's about something so small but what are the the broader uh principles or legal doctrines that could emerge from this case? Well, there are a lot of states uh, that have a constitutional amendment, but like Missouri's, uh, some, by some counts, depending on how you're measuring, up to 39 states. But a lot of states passed these Blaine amendments in the late 19th century. And those amendments were rooted in a very virulent anti-Catholicism, actually, of the time. They say that there's no it prohibits funding of religion, but fundamentally, if you know anything about American history in the 19th century, anti-Catholicism was pretty widespread and pretty bad. So they wanted to make sure that the Catholics got no government money. So a bunch of states passed these laws. These have created and, some. And in, in some of these, in some of these uh, cases, it was it was specifically to keep government money out of Catholic schools. Precisely, and it, it was it was well understood that. The public schools were the Protestant schools, and the Catholic schools were the Catholic schools. Oh, yeah. You would have Bible reading class, and you'd be reading the Protestant Bible in your public schools. I'm putting that in scare quotes right now. And the Catholics who got sick of that stuff, uh, particularly after there were some riots in Philadelphia in the 1840s, and they kept not getting, not playing well with the public school system, went to go start their own school systems and there was some funding going to the Catholic school systems and that's why they put a lot of these prohibitions in place. But for those states that have these Blaine amendments or baby Blaine amendments as they're sometimes called because they actually tried to pass the similar amendment for the U.S. Constitution but failed. But for those states that have this in their constitutions, it creates some problems for, for example, school voucher programs and other types of attempts to free up the education market based on what you had said previously, that some of it's actually rooted in education. But if it says that you're not allowed, if the state has a prohibition says we're not going to give any money to religion whatsoever, then how does that affect a voucher program that doesn't discriminate between religious schools and non-religious schools or a tax credit program that doesn't discriminate? If you give now to one of these religious schools, is that going to violate the Blaine Amendment? So it's a pretty small case seemingly. I mean, it's a playground dispute, I guess you could call it, uh, that has really fascinating implications. And and I think the court has known this too because actually they've, they've set on this case, they granted cert of a year and three months ago before Justice Scalia died. And they've been sitting on it in various ways, probably trying to wait for another justice to be appointed before having oral arguments, which which happens in in April here. So we'll see what happens because they understand that it's a, it has there's a lot of implications of the case, and they probably understood after Justice Scalia died that it was a four four case. So although it might seem to people that this is clearly religious discrimination of some some sort, I mean, come on, give them their playground, make things safer, what's the big deal? Uh, it seems like there's probably at least four justices on the Supreme Court who do not think that this prohibition on funding of religion is unconstitutional. And, and all uh, court politics aside, it's totally reasonable for all the justices on the court not to want a 4-4 decision on this. Oh, absolutely. If if it's sort of a waste of time to have granted a case, because in order for the court to hear a case, they only need four votes. Uh, and so they could grant the case, but then in order to win the case, you need five votes. So when you vote to hear a case, you have to kind of be thinking that it might be possible to get an extra vote. 
if you just get a 4-4 tie, it, it's kind of a waste of everybody's time. You could spend all this time, all the lawyer's time briefing the case. You could have the court hear it. You could go through everything, and they could be unable to come to an agreement uh, except for just splitting it 4-4, which leaves the lower opinion in place and doesn't change any Supreme Court doctrine. So it's just a waste of time. So they've been avoiding it, I think. We don't really know. The Supreme Court's a black box, so we don't really know. But sort of reading the tea leaves, so to speak, they've been waiting for another justice to get on the court. And now that we have Justice Gorsuch, uh, they're ready to hear the case. Now, uh, just so I'm clear on this, uh, there is no problem. There is no constitutional problem today with uh, a young uh, man or woman using the GI Bill and then taking that money with them to a religious school. That's not construed as any kind of support for religion. But what is the legal reasoning as to why? Well, most of the uh, this would be an establishment clause question of whether or not the money going to the, from the GI Bill through the, the choice of the individual young man and then into a school, the question of whether or not that seems like establishing a church and most of the establishment clause doctrines that we have, but it, to be honest, it's all a mess. But what we really have is sort of this entanglement theory. Do we have a situation where the government is entangling itself in religion to such a degree uh, that it seems like they're endorsing it in some way? And because you have this intermediary between the money goes to the guy, goes to the soldier, and then the soldier picks the school, it is seen to not be entangling the government in the involvement of religion. So that is not an establishment clause problem. Now, if that were an establishment clause problem, uh, then, I mean, in other kinds of similar situations, then you could see how maybe this playground situation could violate the United States Constitution and the establishment clause there. But... The parties have stipulated that it does not, that under in no circumstances is this entangling the government in religion. If they give them these tires, this will not violate the U.S. Establishment Clause. The question is merely whether or not Missouri can go above and beyond the Establishment Clause and have its own separation between church and state. Are we going to, will we see, do you, do you think, I, I don't, don't project too much, but is it possible that Blaine amendments around the country could be going away? If this case goes for the church, if they're allowed to to fund, to receive the tires, then a lot of these Blaine amendments around the country could be in peril, which to me is not a very a bad situation. I don't think the government should be allowed to discriminate, discriminate against religion. Uh, it should just be equal playing field. But most, many of these amendments were, have the exact same wording. And so if, if after this case, if, if the church wins, then other people can bring other cases using this as a precedent against their Blaine amendments for different other kind of discriminations against religion. And if the, if the language of the case as the court decides it is, is pretty robust, then circuit courts and, and district courts around the country will be striking those down with, with pretty regularly for the next couple of years. Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.